The Money Cafe is brought to you by Eureka Report, your one-stop shop for all things finance. To sign up for your free 15-day trial, head to eurekareport.com.au. Now it's time to enjoy today's episode. Hello, I'm Alan Kohler, Editor-in-Chief of Eureka Report, as well as finance presenter on ABC News and a columnist for the New Daily. And I'm James Thompson, Chanticleer columnist at the Australian Financial Review. And we are The, the Money, Money Cafe. Cafe. And, um, well, great to see you again, James. Yes, good to after be back good, after our break. our break. Yeah. And um, uh, it's, a, it's a fair bit going on, in fact. <laughs> There's a little bit going on this week, isn't there? And look, we're The Money Cafe, so we don't want to talk too much about politics, but it's... Hard not to mention what's been going on with Scott Morrison. Yes. I mean, really? Jeez. It's really... It's hard to wrap your head around, isn't it? I mean, in some ways, it's sort of not important but completely important. Yeah, that's right. It's in the past and sort of didn't matter. In the end, he didn't do anything with it, but but he kept it a secret. It's incredible. Yeah. But um, so, I don't know. I mean, it's just another blow to the Liberal Party. I think it's just... uh, um, he, he doesn't stay in Parliament, does he? Not for too much longer? Well, uh, at the very least, he'll say, he'll announce that he's retiring at the next election. Yes, yes. At the very least, I'd imagine. It, it is interesting. I mean, one link to the business world, though, is he would he would likely have seen himself as a potential candidate for boards. You know, the old politician goes on to a board thing. But you wonder after this episode, particularly, whether his oh, no. uh, candidacy for boards is, is a bit, in a bit of trouble. Absolutely. I think he's out. I think there's no way he's going to get on the boards. So, therefore, does he need to stay in Parliament for the dollars? Just, just for to, a job. For a paycheck. Sure. Yeah. So I think he might. I, I, I think he might well, too. It's a, it's a pretty steady job. I mean, the trouble is he's probably going to lose next time. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, and if Maybe. they have a by-election, they could lose it. Yeah. I guess he's probably got good super and pension. You know, you get a big, you get sure. a big whack for being the former PM, so... Yeah, I don't know what you get, actually, do you yeah. know? Yeah, oh, I'm, not, I'm not entirely sure, but I think there are. You, you have an office and you have travel allowance and all that sort of stuff, so. Yeah. yeah. No. But it's a it's one out of the box. So we're into the earnings season, James, and in the notes for our session today, you wrote earnings season twilight zone. What does that mean? Uh, yes, well, I guess what I was thinking is um, here is we're sort of seeing really good results, pretty solid results during earnings season. But my, I think the caveat is that these results go to the end of June, June 30 being the end of the financial year. So the, the conditions in the economy are going to look very different in three months' time. They probably already look different in, in August and September as interest rates start to kick in. And so we've got this sort of moving picture, I reckon, that the, the, everything looks okay at the moment, but what will it look like in, say, November and then probably again in... February and March after we get so what out are, of it. What are the outlooks that the the CEOs are giving us? Largely upbeat. Largely upbeat. Yeah, there's not there, there's so relatively strong growth and um, relatively good margins, and so there's not too many cracks yet. That's for sure. So, but I just wonder if they're coming. So they're in the CEOs are in a little twilight zone of their own, are they? They're well, a bit delusional. Well, they're not, maybe they're not. Y- yes, <laughs> maybe not delusional though. I mean, it was a great. 
this great lunch last week with Shane Elliott from ANZ, and he made this really good point. You know, it's a year and a half since the banking regulator was telling the banks, can your systems handle negative interest rates? I mean, 18 months later, interest rates are going up at a rate that they've never gone up in Australian history. So things are moving pretty quickly. So I don't think it's delusion necessary, necessarily from the CEOs. They're playing the, playing the cards in front of them. So it's interesting. Yeah, right. Oh, well. Um, so uh, what do you reckon about BHP? I mean, uh, honestly, what, a, what an incredible result. A massive number. But fascinating to think. I mean, this is a really – this is – if there's a better run company in Australia, it's, you know, you'd go a long way to find it. The, the, Mike Henry is a very good CEO who's focused on operational, you know, making the operations run well and not making the big sort of mistakes that miners became famous for, these big flamboyant deals. He, he just doesn't buy into that stuff and BHP's a better company for it. But what's interesting, though, is where the money come from, came from in the last year. So... Iron ore earnings, down a touch, no worries. Copper earnings, down a touch. Coal earnings, dirty old coal, went from $300 million US in 2021 to $9.5 billion in 2022. So wow. it, it's an incredible number and it just shows you sort of, you know, that there's what, well, I guess it shows you what the energy crisis do, has done. What that's going to fall off a cliff, isn't it? Yeah, of course. Did, did, did Mike yeah. Henry acknowledge that? Did he oh. kind of talk about the future of coal? They, they, look, they want to get out of coal. That, that's their sort of standard position. So, you know, that's okay. And, and, and he's sort of, you know, floating with the tide, which has risen very quickly um, in the last 12 months. But it is an incredible number and just worth remembering when you look at the BHP result. Yeah, well, and looking at the Sandos result, they're all, he's all, all about gas and saying the world's going to need gas. Yeah. And, you know, the only way you're going to have a decent transition is if you have more gas, not less. Yes, yes. Uh, but, um, I mean, I wonder about that because the, the, the Climate Change Brigade are saying that we need less gas yeah, well, and that we'll be fine. Uh, well... His, his point, Kevin Gallagher, the Santos chief executive's point yesterday was that, hang on, in 2021, because there was not enough gas, coal-fired power went up 9% to a record level. So the, the, renewables, um, the renewables wave is coming and we want it to come, but it's not here yet. And so in the next five years or so, we need the stopgap or else everyone goes back to coal. Yeah, but the trouble is that the new projects that Kevin Gallagher's talking about approving are 30-year projects, not five-year yeah, projects, and that's right? A that's, that's a really good point. That's the problem. But will we need oil in 30 years? I mean, he's just approved this Alaskan project. Will we need oil in 30 years for resin, clothes, you know, plastics? Absolutely. Of course we will. So we're not getting rid of yeah, oil. what about gas? Gas, not sure. Probably. I mean, we'll need gas for firming up the renewables that we've got. And, the, and it's not just us who needs it, it's the world who needs it. And the world can't use Russia's gas anymore, and they won't for the next 30 years. So, yes, we can stop developing uh, gas, but the problem is there is a domino effect. If, if we don't have enough gas and Asia doesn't have enough gas and Europe doesn't have enough gas, there are flow-on effects from that. So and do you reckon would the, would the, would the Shonaclear Superfund <laughs> invest in Santos and Woodside? Uh, I'm not sure. 
Not sure. I, I, the, the Chanticleer Superfund belongs to my colleague Tony Boyd, who, oh, uh, I see. You, who presume, uh, presumably is this the Melbourne, the, the Mitchell <laughs> Chanticleer. There is not. There is not. This this Chanticleer is not smart enough to manage his own super. So, I think I hug the index with my uh, uh, my media super um, oh, yeah. superannuation account. But yeah, it's a good question. I mean. I think in the next 10 years, Santos and Woodside are going to benefit from higher prices. Um, I don't think there's any question about that. Now, whether they can manage the transition to what comes next, whether that's hydrogen and gas or, you know, just hydrogen, that, that's the big question. It is. Which brings us to the question of, I mean, do you think we're in a, have been having a bear market rally? Oh, God. Oh, I have thought that up until the last week, and I've written a few columns saying... I'm just not sure. I think you have to take the possibility that the market's bottomed more seriously now. You know, every, investors should have been thinking about the possibility of a recession. Now they need to think about the possibility that the worst is in. I still think it's a bear market rally. I think there's more sort of pain to be unwound. I think the Fed's got to go a lot harder than everyone thinks. And I think there will be a recession in the US and maybe a bad one. So... Oh, arguably, they've, they've had a recession or they're yeah. in a recession because yeah. they're two quarters of negative GDP. But, but it, it doesn't goes. feel like a recession, though, does it? Because there's, the unemployment rates over there is still so good. So three and a half percent. Yeah, and they're still spending, and, and inflation's still high. So we're going to find out this morning what Australia's unemployment rate is. It's probably gone up a bit. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I think we're. I just think the excesses of the last decade. The, the debt we've taken on, all the stimulus, the low rates, that hasn't washed itself out of the system at all yet. Yeah. It's not even close. Yeah. So, I don't know. That, that, that's what sort of that's what makes me st- stay in the bear rally camp. <laughs> yeah, but the good news is you've outsourced your your um, your super to somebody <laughs> no, else, so right. they can make exactly. they can decide that. I am I am completely on the. Um, I'm completely riding on the index or, or, or the the smart fund managers at some. At what did you think of the wages thing yesterday? The wages, wage price well, index, this, which is this is another thing calculated like a consumer price index. Yeah, I mean, it seems I don't know enough. You might know more about the construction of the wage price index, but is it telling the full story at the moment? No, I mean, no. It's the problem with the wage price index is that it's based on existing wages, like people's. It doesn't. It doesn't count uh, uh, wage rises occurring as a result of people moving jobs, right? Or, okay. or getting a promotion. So it's the wages of exist of the same job. Gotcha. Right. So it's 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 a particular it's a particular measure. Yes. You know, and it's valid. Yes. But you've got to understand it doesn't include bonuses. So if you if you include all those other things like people getting a promotion or moving jobs yep. or getting a bonus, yep. I think the wage growth is higher yeah. uh, than that. Certainly, the the re- businesses are reporting that you know yeah. that it's um, that wages growth is higher than two point six percent. Yeah, um, yeah, but it certainly gives everyone uh, you know a lot of ammunition to go. Oh, look, wages are you know real wages are in the in the toilet. Yeah, it's terrible. Inflation's you know, five or six percent, and wage growth is two point six percent. We're all going backwards, um, which you know is true if you're not changing jobs. Yeah, that is true. Does do, do you think the RBA is starting to get ammunition for a pause? Um, not a pause. I think they'll keep going until they get to where they think neutral. at least neutral rates are, which is two and a half percent. Yeah. 
But do you think, I mean, say we get another, I don't know, the, the betting on 25 and 50 seems fairly split basis points next month. Yeah. Could, I mean, we, we could get a rise uh, August, September, October, November, and then maybe there's a case for a pause? Yeah, well, I, th- I think so. I mean, I think, I think the case is that they should go 25 basis points now. Yep. Uh, not 50. Yeah. Um, I think that they're in uncharted territory with, with the amount of household debt, so that they need to they need to proceed carefully. Yeah. And there are signs that think that the heat's just coming out a bit. I mean, consumer spending's uh, sorry, consumer confidence is right down. Consumer spending seems to be moderating, not cracking, mm. um, but moderating. So I mean, you. There is a case to be made that they're sort of front-loaded rate cuts mm. and the jawboning starting to do its job. Yeah, well, we could see an increase in unemployment today too. Yeah, possibly. Um, well, I don't well, know. Well, I had a young Saul Leslie yesterday and he told me something I, I didn't actually realise, hmm. and that is that they have a sample of 26,000 households for the, unemplo- for the labour force data. Okay. They sample 26,000 households, which leads to... 50,000 individuals, Yes, right? yep. And every month um, they uh, rotate a, an eighth of them out, or is it a quarter? Anyway, they rotate an eighth of them out and replace them every um, every time they redo it. Okay, yeah. So, and and they publish on the website of the ABS what the, the new one-eighth, the, what the data was for the new one-eighth versus the old one-eighth. As in their, their As sort in, of socioeconomic status? No, no, whether they were employed or not. Oh, okay, right. So yeah. the employment data uh, of the new one-eighth versus the old one, uh, seven-eighths. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And last month, yes. the new one-eighths yes. they brought in were much lower than the old seven-eighths. Right. In terms of the unemployment rate, it was 2.8%, right? Right. Of the new one-eighth. Okay, Yes. Do you get I hope it? you're following you're out with there. Me? Yep, I'm with you. I'm with you. Yep. So there's a so, skew. There's a skew in the data. Possibly. So there was there was a skew in last month's last the uh, last month's data. There was a skew. Yep. That so that the new one eighth that was brought in, and the, uh, was much uh, had much lower unemployment rate than the old seven eighths, right. and certainly the the uh, the one eighth that was. Moved out right. of the sample. So we could get some normalisation. Well, we could get normalisation or we could get the new one-eighth comes in and is higher than the, the one-eighth because the one-eighth that's going out, I don't know, uh, could be higher. Yeah. So there's, that's an interesting, yeah. Um, yeah. interesting thing that I didn't know about the way this works. No. And, and also that you can find out from their website, on, you know, within, the, within the ABS Labor Force data, you can find out what the new one-eighth yeah, yeah. unemployment rate was and the extent to which it skews the, the average. Yeah. <clears throat> there you go. I mean, presumably they've figured it out and all this stuff washes out in the, over time, but um, interesting to see the little peculiarities that uh, pop up. Exactly. And just one other thing. If you looked at the Neomap uh, offer... Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's interesting. I mean... There's lots of interesting things about it. I mean, it's a... F- like... Well, I think the first interesting thing is they got it about six weeks ago and didn't fess didn't up. Talk and about didn't it. fess up until this week. I mean, they're entitled to do that. They're, yeah. Which reminds me of a certain other thing. While we're on that subject yeah. of 
of uh, that book that's got the stuff about Scott Morrison. Yes, yes. Written by a couple of Australian journalists. Yes. They've known about this stuff since well before the election. Yeah. And they kept it, they kept it quiet through the election. It looks like it, looks like it was probably a deal. Yeah, maybe. Because Morrison told them. Right. It was Morrison who told them that stuff. Okay, right. Right. But anyway, okay. So, <laughs> yes, well, timing of uh, revelations is always important. So, Neomap has not, I mean, they are supposed to, according to ASX rules, they're supposed to announce something that's market sensitive, right? Yes, but. So, did they break the rules? No, because takeovers are different. There can be the, the, appro- the, the nature of the approach, whether it's, you know, this was a non binding indicative offer, so lots of conditions of. They're always non binding indicative. Usually, usually, true. But, um, so no, they, they didn't break the rules. Um, they have their results. They had their results yesterday, so they wanted to be out ahead of that. So, um, but I think there's a deal. There's going to be a deal done here. I mean, for those who don't know, Nearmap is a satellite mapping company. Basically, they fly planes over different parts of the world and map it. There's a, in the US, there's about four companies doing that. They're the second biggest. They're, these four companies are all flying their own planes over the same bits of ground. Consolidation's been sort of inevitable. So this is the start of it. Um, I think the CEO's been out there talking to interested parties for a while and he's brought one to the table, this firm, Tomo Brava. Never heard of them. No, no one had before this week. But, you know, they're, they're apparently quite big. $100 billion in funds under management in the US. I mean, uh, that's. Are they thing. entirely private equity? Or? Yeah, they are. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But they, they did. They did um, privatise a company, buy a public company and take it private just last week. So they're in this bargain hunting on, on public market mode and I think they'll... I mean, it looks like they're going to get another one unless Nearmap can sort of engineer an auction. With Is that what parties. they're trying to do, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It's not clear to me how successful they're going to be. We haven't had any new bidders come forward, but it could happen. They haven't done that well, the share price, have they? No, it was one of these things that, you know, former market darling, but it's had a bad run in there as the tech stocks have been smashed around in the last year or so. Mm. Better move on to the questions. Yeah. And we have got a few terrific questions. John says, PPK recently issued an in-specie distribution of shares after a demerger, and they're not listed on the stock exchange. Any idea why they would have done it this way and how do I sell them? Yeah, well, they were... um, uh, it was a, it was a there. It was their engineering division, PPK. PPK is the company. I don't know if you're aware of this, James. They're the company that's got carbon nanotubes, boron nitride nanotubes, right? Boron nitride nanotubes, and um, uh, they're uh, very, very high tech. But they had an engineering division which they hived off, and they've given the division to the shareholders. The trouble is that it's not. It's not listed. It's an unlisted public okay. company. So now you're stuck in this unlisted public company. Yeah, and he and John wants to know how do I sell them, and the answer is I don't know. I mean, I've I tried ringing them yesterday, right, to find out if they're setting up a secondary market. But John, I suggest you ring the company and say and say that you know how do I sell them? What's yeah. going on? Yeah, uh, because I'll I'll try to get to the bottom of it. I have interviewed them, uh, the CEO in the past, um, and so I might try and get him to find out what's going on and also how their their uh, main business is going. But I think, John, uh, yeah, I wasn't able to find out whether they're setting up a secondary market in the 
in this thing or not, whether uh, whether they're going to facilitate the selling of those, the trading of those unlisted shares, or whether you're on your own, in which case, you know, you just, I don't know. Yeah, it's going to be complicated, whatever happens. All right, uh, our next John asks, um, some time ago I bought... Wagner shares, WGN's the code, when they fell to about $2 as I was impressed that the Wagner brothers had built the Wellcamp International Airport near Toowoomba in a very short time and convinced the government to do a lucrative deal on leasing a quarantine facility they built nearby. Thought these boys have skin in the game and I'll have a bit at two. In a recent financial update from Wagner, I could see no mention of the airport or quarantine facility. Does Wagner own these assets or have I simply bought shares in a concrete and quarry business? By the way, the last time I looked, Wagner was a disappointing one dollar fifteen. Now dollar thirteen. Oh, <laughs> so they did. They got to a two dollar two fifty, and um, it's been downhill all the way. But right. if you look at if you look at the stock over two years, they're actually ahead of the market. But if okay. you look at it over one year, they're well well underperformed. So yes. if you bought it near or near the top, I guess as John did, I mean he thought that they've they've come down from two fifty to two dollars, and he thought, oh, look, there's a buy. And they just kept going. Um, so yeah, look, look, you're right, John. They they do have skin in the game. They're the Wagner family, uh, Toowoomba. They basically, are, you know, I think that if if they don't if they don't own Toowoomba, they're close to it. You know, they're <laughs> basically, you know, uh, uh, the, the biggest business in Toowoomba, I think by far. Yeah. And uh, they're not a bad business on the whole. But I think they've still got the Wellcamp business too. Sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, look, they started they started out as concreters and became uh, builders. Yeah, um, and then rich listers. So a bit like Grollo, really, the, the Toowoomba Grollo. Yeah, not not. Yeah, that's that's true. But I think they still have the uh, uh, the, the the wellness the Wellcamp International Airport. I think um, I think construction's a tough game at the moment. Yeah, and 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 quarantine facility management's a tough game as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, so look, uh, uh, does. Uh, has he has John bought shares in a concrete and quarry business? Yeah, well, it's fundamentally that. But yeah. you know, um, as to whether it's it's a buy at a dollar thirteen or fifteen, I don't know. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a I tough mean, time for cyclical building products yeah. at the moment. Um, Karen says Stephen commented this week on the dialect of female representation <laughs> in finance analysts and your listeners asking questions. I'm a 60-year-old self-funded retiree and I'm constantly frustrated by some female friends whose eyes glaze over if I mention my recent rule change, any recent rule change that may be of use or encourage younger still working friends to check their super balances, salary facts, sacrifice, etc. Do either of you have any suggestions about how to get women more engaged? Our daughter already has bought a property at 25, so okay, we're in Adelaide and things make th- th- that makes things cheaper. And most of her friends are engaged, as is our prospective daughter-in-law. Hopefully the younger women have learned from some of the oversights of older women. What do you reckon, James? Oh, I think, uh, I mean, Karen makes a great point, uh, and, and Stephen's obviously got a few um, of our listeners fired up. But um, I, I think I think engage, financial literacy and engagement, uh, we don't do enough of it generally for, for either gender. Um, but but Karen's right that that females uh, need you know have a given the statistics around how much females have in super compared yeah. to males that they they need to be engaged earlier. My, my, su- my suggestion, for what it's worth, 
is that you should show all young women divorce statistics. I think they possibly don't realise yeah. that they're probably going to get divorced and when they do, their husband's going to have a shitload of money in super. Yeah. yeah. And they need to understand how it works. Yeah. Or, or, or You need to understand how the whole system works for yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um, because you're not just going to be uh, married necessarily. Yes. Or, or alternatively, show them the super the super balances of people at retirement age because it shows that when women go and have kids it, it, it just is hard to keep the super balance Absolutely. building. That's right. Well, so, that's the problem. Yeah. So you have kids, your super balance doesn't doesn't keep growing, your individual one. You, you get divorced and and you're on your own. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, look. Sounds like Karen's, the, the younger women around Karen are on top of it, which is... Well, the trouble is getting need. married, you know, in your 20s, it's such an optimistic... Event, you know, like it's fantastic. Everyone's so optimistic, but you need to prepare for later. No room for romance in the uh, (laughs) cola world. All right. Uh, Emma's got a similar question. She listened to the Money Cafe for the first time and heard Steve's rant about women. So thought thought she'd submit a question. It's a good one too. She's got three preteen kids. She wants to help them save money to buy a house. Uh, Emma's thinking about setting up some kind of investment for each one where they turn 13 whereby they start with a thousand bucks and add a small amount per fortnight, say fifty dollars, and but also that's matched when they chip in up to a nominated amount. Emma wants to retain control of the investment so it doesn't get squandered <laughs> and hand it over when they're ready to buy a house. Hoping this will help them get, uh, learn about the power of saving and investing and allow to get allow them to get into the property market and out of her home. Good call. Uh, without giving them a handout. Out of her home. <laughs> I intend to, uh, this to be a 10 to 15 year project. So what vehicle's best to do this? I'd like something passive, e.g. that tracks the value of ASX 200 stocks or similar, rather than something where I need to pick stocks. Do you think she's on the right track there, Alan? Absolutely. And Emma, um, if you go onto the Australian Foundation uh, website, you'll find a section there f- uh, called Investing for Your Children and Grandchildren. Australian Foundation. Australian Foundation Investment Company, okay. AFIC. Yep. Yep. So it's a, it's a listed investment company. Um, uh, they are not exciting, it needs to be said, they, but they have achieved a sort of a compound growth over many years of about 7%, 7 or 8%. Yep. So not terrible, yep. but just ordinary. Uh, but they do really help you invest for your children, if, if that's what you want to do. Um, uh, so look, that's why so I'm just saying that's one option. That's one option. And the thing about it, thing about Afic, is that they are set up for it. They know what they're doing. They organise it for you, and they'll deal with the tax, the tax issues. There are tax issues you need to worry or think about, Emma, because if you, uh, whatever you do, uh, or virtually whatever you do, you're up for the capital gains tax. Uh, when they sell, yes. No, you just need because you know. So you might you might invest for your grandchildren, and sell the thing in twenty years' time, and you could get hit with a very big capital gains tax bill. You know, so you just need to be careful of that. Yeah, um, fair enough. And and put money aside or something for it. You know, 
or have a deal or understand, have an understanding with the child that that's yeah. that they're going to pay it. Yeah, a, a passive a passive vehicle, as Emma suggested, would could do the same job. You, you'll just have to do a little, little bit more of the, as Emma says here, the life admin to be able to make it work. and, yeah. and understand the tax implications. Yeah, no, I mean I don't want to be a big. Advertisement for AFIC, but well, but indeed, Alan. At the moment, their uh, shares are trading well above their NTA. Sorry, well under their NTA, their net tangible assets. Well, it's so. another reason to buy them because uh, they have, in the past, always traded at a premium. Yeah, no, they are at a premium. They're at a oh, big premium. They're at a big premium. <laughs> well, they always do trade at a premium. Yeah. So it's not as if they're suddenly going to go to a discount. No, that's true. Okay. That's true. Um. Uh, my turn. A few, yep. Marco says a few times now you've re- referenced the cost of shorting particular stocks, some being more than others. Where could I find this information? Do you know? No. I've, I've looked, but I can't. The cost of shorting? Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a, a website called shortman.com.au. Yes. Uh, which tells you which stocks are being shorted. Yes. And the amount of their capital that's being shorted. So, for example... The most shorted stock at the moment is Flight Centre. Yep. Um, but as to where you'd find the cost of shorting, I'm I'm not sure. I think you'll have to talk to a broker and yeah, yeah. they'll give you the individual prices for individual stocks. Yeah, that's right. So what we're talking about is the cost of borrowing. Yes, the cost of borrowing. The cost of borrowing stocks yeah. to short them. Yep. Um, so you're paying rent, basically. Yeah, or, and or, so you'll have to talk to a broker about your different options there. Uh, Mark asks, thanks for your interview with Martin Wetton from CBA discussing bonds on Talking Finance. Could you please explain what are bonds, the bond market, and why they're so important in relation to the share market? Can you recommend any books on the subject of bonds? I, I, I can tell you from my searches, there is a investing in bond, bonds for dummies that you can buy from Amazon.com, but that might be a good place to start. Those for dummies books are all good. Yeah, exactly. There's nothing wrong with them at all. Uh, a bond is a IOU, essentially. And the, the cliche is that a bond is a promise and uh, a stock, a share, is a, um, is a bet. So uh, if you buy shares, they don't promise to give you a dividend. They'll say they, can, they will if they can. Yep. But a bond, they promise to give you interest. And uh, you can get government bonds and corporate bonds and there's a huge range of risk. And basically the risk is default uh, that they're talking about. It isn't so much, uh, because if you hold a bond to its maturity, if you buy a five-year bond and you hold it for five years, at the end of that time you get your money back. Mm. And in the meantime you get paid interest. And if the thing doesn't default, you're fine. And if you buy a government bond, usually it's very safe. You know, uh, in fact, government bonds are called risk-free, mostly. Um, Although if you buy Argentinian bonds, not so so much (laughs) risk-free. But... um, And then the relationship between bonds and stocks, well, bonds are about how much money costs, how much it costs to borrow money, and that has a great impact on... What, how much it costs to do business. So the bond market feeds directly into the stock market in that way. And people often say the bond market's more important than the stock market because the bond market affects all of us. It affects how much we pay on our mortgage, how much we pay for our car loan. Um, whereas, you know, whether or not I own BHP or CBA, not so, not so big a deal. Yeah. It is interesting that in America they have, uh, they have a retail bond market. 
So ordinary people in America tend to buy bonds and stocks. They, they, they'll say, oh, I'll have some bonds and I'll have some stocks. In yeah. Australia, uh, ordinary people, investors, d- tend not to buy bonds. There's very small retail bond market and what we do in Australia instead is we buy bank shares yes and bank shares have been what's called a bond proxy because they're seen as both safe and paying a dividend uh, that is like interest yeah Uh, we need to move on Uh, next question last questions from Kim Uh, I'm an active switcher of my superannuation funds investment classes I'll probably switch too often between Australian and international shares, property, alternative investment, bonds, cash. Sounds like you do, Kim. Yeah, but anyway, while the value of superannuation fund units for shares is calculated on a daily basis, the value of units in property and other investments are not subject to daily recalculations. The value of those assets are judged by the fund on a more occasional assessments of those less liquid assets. So my question is, are there any requirements that forbid employees of superannuation funds from using the inside information of the change in the value of those liquid assets before ordinary super fund members can see the price change? That information could be used to give them an advantage of knowing when to switch their own investment classes between daily calculated assets and more, va- more fixed value assets, say property. Well, that's a very interesting question, Kim. And uh, I wonder whether Kim is an employee look, <laughs> wondering whether he can do it. Or, or she. <laughs> or she. Uh, or whether she's potentially I, I would, an in, uh, a victim of I, it. I think Kim's hit on the... This would be technically insider trading, but it would be the most difficult form of insider trading imaginable because how you decide that, you know, a big office building is worth X and now it's worth Y um, with any great... And, and how you would calculate the way that flows through to the unit price. No, no, but, but, but if, if, if the employee of the super fund was shown to have had actual info, inside information... Yeah, well, that'd be insider trading. It would absolutely, yeah. definitely be insider trading. Yeah. So the question is, Kim, whether there's actual information, whether, you, whether you've uh, got information that a particular asset is going to be up, increased in value at a later date, yeah. and you switch into a, a particular option that takes advantage of that inside information, yeah. then, yeah, you're off to jail. Yeah. Off that, straight to jail. That's, not the, pass go. that's the theory. In practice, I mean, <laughs> the, the infrastructure basket in a, in a super fund or the, you know, the high growth basket, it's got so many assets in it. How you would ever be able to figure that out is beyond me. So I think it's a theoretical problem rather than a practical one, Kim. Okay. <laughs> well, that's it. And uh, we've been in a new cafe this week. A uh, bit noisy, bit noisier than usual, but uh, uh, we'll see how we go next week. Um, yes. Well, thanks, everyone, to, for listening for today, to today's Money Cafe. I'll be back next week with Stephen Main. Send in your questions to themoneycafe at eurekareport.com.au. Until then, I'm Alan Kohler, Editor-in-Chief of Eureka Report. And I'm James Thompson, Chanticleer Columnist at the Australian Financial Review. And I'll see you next week, and I'll see you in a fortnight. Fantastic. Thanks, Alan. <laughs>